Welcome to the Journey Church Podcast. We hope that this message will challenge you and encourage you on your journey of faith. If you would like to learn more about Journey Church, you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and online at thejourneychurch.cc. Now enjoy the message. That is a really heavy pulpit. My pulpit doesn't weigh that much, y'all. That is a heavy thing. I know, Lin, Lin, does Linwood lift that? Does he? No, he doesn't? Yeah, you do. Yeah, that's pretty heavy. I had to squeeze my core when I did that. You know, when you lift something heavy, you're supposed to squeeze your core. You know that, right? Awesome. Hey, guys, again, I am excited to be preaching to you this morning. I want, I want to first say thank you so much for opening up your building and allowing Journey Church to partner with you guys to meet here on campus. We absolutely love the place that we get to meet in, which is the prior hall, hall right down the, the hallway there. Uh, we meet the same time that you guys meet at 10 a.m. And so I just love, I love being able to walk down the hall. Sometimes I'll sne- sneak in here before our service starts and just say hi to everybody and listen to the worship too. I love it. So again, HBC family, thank you so much for partnering uh, with us and allowing us to be a part of that. It is so good. Your pastor, Pastor Linwood, is a, a very dear friend of mine. He's a, an awesome mentor, and, uh, and we are praying for him as he's over in Israel, and he continues his journey in the Holy Land. It's going to be a good time for him. And we've had a good service so far. Would you guys agree already? It's been a good service already. All right. Well, listen, for some of you guys, you might not have heard me preach before, but let me just let you in on a little secret. I talk fast, so if I go too fast, I just need you to do this. Slow it down. And I might do that, right? So I talk fast, but I also, I also need you guys to talk back to me. I don't want to sit up here and talk and hear crickets, amen? I don't want to hear a pin drop on the carpet. Come on, somebody, right? You got you to gotta talk back. See, the more you talk back, the faster I get done and the quicker we get out of here. That's, that's our church. Like we, we get them going. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. You know, I, I want to share a message that's been rattling around in my heart for the last couple of uh, last couple of weeks. I'm gonna pull this a little over here. Last couple of weeks, and uh, and I was talking to my wife about it before I realized I was preaching for for HBC. I was gonna preach it to our our people, uh, but I felt like this is a good message, a timely message for for both churches and for the the church, uh, big church, the the church universal. Amen. And so I, I want you to hear. I want you to listen. I'm gonna do a little teaching. I'm going to preach a little bit, but I'm going to do a lot of teaching, actually, okay? So make sure you're taking notes. One of the ways we tell our people to take notes here is just screenshot. Take a, take a picture of the screen, amen? Take a picture of the screen. Keep it for later. Post it on Instagram. Your socials is all good. So I begin my amen, girl. I begin my ministry career 22 years ago. 22 years ago, I began my ministry career, and I started uh, pastoring or being a youth pastor at a little church plant inside Toano, or at, at, in Toano, Virginia. Now, do you know where Toano, Virginia is? Anybody in the room? You know where Toano? The majority of people actually know where Toano is at. If you don't know where Toano is at, it's next to the end of the world, right? It's right there. If you go past Toano, you fall off the flat earth. Amen? It's just, I'm kidding. I'm not a flat earther, but it was a joke. It's in the middle of nowhere, Toano, Right? And uh, there was this little church there looking for a youth pastor. And funny was, I I was coming out of Bible college, and I was looking for a youth pastoring job. And so I joined this church. And the pastor there, he was just a a neat guy. He was an encouraging guy. I learned more about Scripture and about Bible under that guy than I did my whole time in Bible college, tell you something, right? And... But, but one of the things that was pretty neat is it, it, when I was starting out, was they had the way they began service, they would have worship. And before the pastor got into his message, he would do what's called the sermonette. Y'all know what a sermonette is? 
Come on, church. A sermon, that's the five or ten minute mini message that took place before the main message. And typically, that sermonette, that, that mini message, was a message on giving, right? And so before I got a chance to, to preach to adults and to preach to the big service, I would get shots at preaching the sermonette, the five minutes or ten minutes that, that came before the message. And, and there was this one verse that I would hear my pastor say all the time, and he preached it. And let me tell you, man, he would preach this little sermonette message, this one verse, this one line, and he'd preach it, and people would get excited about giving. True story. They would get excited. I come, up from, I come into a Pentecostal background, okay? Uh, that's, that's my background. So people get excited about things like that. Sometimes you can get excited off just saying, Mary had a little lamb, you know? We get excited about anything, Pentecostals, right? And so people would get so excited about this, this offering time, and he used this verse. And, and this verse is found in Luke chapter 6, verse 38. Now, you might be thinking, are you going to be talking about money today, preacher? No. No, I'm not. But let me just share this verse with you. It says, maybe you've heard it. Maybe you've heard it in a sermonette one time. I've preached it in a sermonette many times. And, and I would read this verse to them, and it, it says, give, give, and you will receive. Your gift will return to you in full, pressed down, shaken together. And I, I read New King James back in the day. So it was, it was give and you will uh, give and you, and you will return to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over. Men will give into your bosom, right? That's what it said, bosom. That's what it said. And, and the bosom for, for this time course, they had a culture. They didn't have pockets in their robes. They had this pocket on the front of their, their robes that, that they would have. It's a big one. They would carry things in that. And so that's what it's talking about, give. And it's given to you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, make room for more running or report into your lap. It says, and the amount you give will determine the amount you get back. And I heard that preached for offering, and I preached it during the offering. But can I tell you something? There's one problem with that. That's not a scripture for offering. Come on, it's not a scripture for offering. Well, it says give and you will receive. It says give, your gift will return to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, making room, running over to be poured into your lap. It says the amount you give will determine the amount you give back. It's got to be talking about giving money, but it's not talking about giving money. We're actually going to unpack that just a little bit today. We're going to unpack it because I think, I think it's important for us to understand not, not so much that this verse uh, is not talking about money, which is not, but what this verse really is talking about. And the verses that come before it and the verses that come after it. We don't want to just cherry pick a scripture here and there and try to make it say whatever we want it to say in that moment. That's not what we want to do. How many of you know believe context is key, amen? you you got to have context. Context is, is key you got to have context. I mean, you can make Scripture say anything you want to. And let me tell you, don't you know the church has done a great job at that? The church has done a great job making certain Scriptures say what they want it to say to further their agenda on particular situations. I mean, you can find a Scripture for everything. Did you know that? Want to condemn somebody for adultery? You can find a Scripture for that. Want to stone your kids to death for not listening to you? Did you know you can find a Scripture for that? Yeah, yeah. Did you know that if you want to conquer another people group, you can find the scripture for that, right? Did, did you know 
that if you want to make sure that your wife never asks you another question in church, there's a scripture for that. No, she asks great questions. Not my wife. She preaches. But my point is, is that there's this context, and context is important. You can make Scripture say whatever you want it to say, but it doesn't mean it's the right thing that it's saying. So I'm going to challenge this this morning. This verse is very, very powerful in context, and I want to challenge you this morning to encourage you this morning to repent. Isn't that a church word? Repent. Repent. Usually when we think of the word repent, we think about somebody bawling or crying out and asking God to forgive us. I want you to repent. We get to repent. But you know the word repent doesn't mean cry and bawl and cry out to God to ask him to forgive you. But did you know the word repent just simply means to change your mind? Metanoia is the Greek word metanoia, to, to change your mind. And so I want to challenge us in the room this morning to repent, to change the way that we see the Scripture, because I believe that if we change the way we see the Scripture, it's going to change the way that we relate to each other and the way that we relate to God. So, y'all ready? Come on, church. Y'all ready? What time is it? I got 25 minutes. You know, anytime a pastor tells you how much time he has, it doesn't mean anything, right? That's just to make you comfortable. <laughs> I got 25 minutes. Luke chapter 6, verse 37. And we're going to start there. Luke chapter 6, verse 37. And it says, it says, do not judge others, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn others, or, or it will all come back against you. Forgive others, excuse me, forgive others, and you will be forgiven. Stop. Everybody see what that scripture's talking about? It's talking about judgment, right? It's talking about condemnation, right? It's talking about forgiveness. Amen? Now watch the next verse. Next verse. There you go. Give, and you will receive. Your gift will return to you in full, pressed down, shaken together, to make room for more running over, poured into your lap. The amount that you give will determine the amount you give back. Now watch. Go to the next verse. It says, and then Jesus gave the following illustration. Can one blind person lead another? Won't they both fall into a ditch? Keep going. Look what it says. Students are not greater than their teacher, but the student who is fully trained will become like their teacher. Keep going. Next verse. There we go. And why worry? Oh, come on, church. Listen. Why worry about the speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? Last verse, come on. Last verse, watch. How can you think of saying, friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? Hypocrite. First, get rid of the log in your own eye. Now, we're going to come back, and we're going to unpack this this morning. Just those scriptures. I sent a whole bunch more scriptures with my original slides that, that goes further, and I realized that I'm not even going to get to those. So we're just going to camp out right here, okay? Look what it says in verse 37. Go back to verse 37. Verse 37. Isn't it interesting that we would look at that one verse set in the middle of verses that talk about how you judge and relate to other people and somehow think, well, that's talking about giving financially. But it's not. Verse 37, it says, 
do not judge and you will not be what? Judged. The word judge right here is the Greek word krino. Do me a favor, church, say krino. Krino. It's the Greek word krino. And it means to pronounce judgment to subject to censure. To pronounce judgment and to subject to censure. That's what it means. Now, now watch, watch. Censure. Censure means to express, listen, to express severe disapproval of someone or something, especially in a formal statement. Anybody express issues with other people, express severe disapproval with someone or something, especially in a formal statement like Facebook or Instagram or Twitter? Right? Look what it says. It goes on. Censure. It means severe disapproval of someone or something, especially in a formal statement. It also means, listen, these are the words of censure right here. They are to criticize, to lambast. I ain't never used that word in my life. To criticize, to lambast, to, to attack, to haul over the coals, to vilify, to condemn, to pull apart, to hammer, to crucify. There's a lot in that little word, isn't there? Do not judge, and you will not be judged. H have you ever found yourself on the receiving end of judgment, church? Anybody in the room ever found yourself on the receiving end of judgment? Come on, y'all talk back to me. Right? We found ourselves there. Some of us have been attacked. Some of us have been criticized. Some of us feel like we've been hauled over the coals. Some of us have been vilified. Some of us have felt like we've been completely porn or pulled apart. Now notice that the scriptures tell us something that we often forget, and it's simply this. How we treat others is how we will be treated. Do not judge others, and you will not be judged. This is not talking about if I judge somebody else, then God is going to judge me. That's not what it's talking about. It's saying if you judge Pepper, Pepper is going to judge you. If, <laughs> if, if you judge Matt, then there's a chance that Matt's going to judge you. Right? It says, it says in verse 37, Again, do not judge or you won't judge. And it says, do not condemn others or it will come back against you. So the word condemn there, I didn't get this to the tech team, but the word condemn there, listen, condemned is to give judgment against one. That's what that word means, to give judgment against one. You are playing judge over somebody else's life. When you condemn somebody, you are taking a position of power and authority that you do not have, and you are trying to exercise it on somebody else's life. When you condemn somebody, you devalue them. You devalue them. You render them unfit for use. You ever been by a condemned building? You ever seen a building that's condemned that has a sign on the building? 
And the sign on the building says, this is an unsafe environment. It's not habitable. It's condemned. And, and so the scriptures are telling us, Jesus is telling us, don't judge somebody. Don't vilify somebody. Don't rake anybody over the coals. And do not come to a place where you look at anybody you come across and you condemn them. You render them unfit for use. You don't have that authority. You don't have that authority. It ain't your place. It's not your place. It's not my place to condemn. It's not. Yet, this is where we find a large portion of the church today. But not here, not at HBC, and not at Journey Church. We're the good church. Right? We're the good church, y'all. Not here. There ain't no judgment here, is there? Ain't no condemnation here, is there? But yet, this is where we find a large portion of the church. You see, the church has taken it upon itself to take a position that even Christ refused to take. Did you hear what I just said? The church has taken a position that even Christ refused to take, and that is one of condemnation and one of judgment. Well, the scripture says that God has rendered to Jesus the power to judge all. It does. And do you know what the scripture says after that? Jesus said, and the Son does not judge. That's what it says. So we, th we think, we think sometimes that the way that we're going to change the world is by legislating morality. That's what we think. We think the way the world gets changed is by legislating morality. It's by voting for certain politicians to make certain laws to govern the body. And that's how it, the more moral our laws are, the better society works. Except for the truth is, is that laws don't change hearts. They don't. If laws changed heart, then there would have been no reason for Christ to come because the Jews had the law long before they had Christ. Do not murder, do not steal, do not, keep, uh, do not, do not worship any false gods. Keep the Sabbath. Uh, honor your mother and father. Don't, don't cheat on your spouse. They had the laws, and the laws never produced a heart change. What produced heart change is love on full expression. I would say love in full expression. Well, after all, that's who Jesus is, right? Jesus is the son of who? Come on, church. Jesus is the son of who? God. In Hebrews, it says that in Hebrews 1, 3, it says that Jesus is the expressed image of God. The exact representation of who God is. In Colossians, it says that Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God. And do you know what Jesus had? You know what Jesus demonstrated that changed every person that he would come in contact with? It is the love of God on full expression. See, we think that if we are going to change the world, it's by telling the world how horrible they are. We think that the world will change when... When, when, when we take that and we, and we show them how disapproving we are, we show them how disapproving their life is. That somehow, the more I tell you you're a horrible person, the more you're going to want to not be a horrible person. But that ain't true. That ain't true. 
What do you, watch, what do you do when you're in a relationship with somebody or you have a friendship with somebody and all they do is criticize you? What do you do? Do you stay in that relationship? If you have a friend that the only thing that they say to you over and over again is how bad of a person you are, do you hang out with that friend? No. You about face and you'll walk away. Right? Are y'all hearing me, church? We think that by telling people how horrible they are, they're going to flip. We, we think that we're God's moral authority. And that's an issue. There's a, a problem with this line of thought. It's not how Jesus lived. It's not. When it came to those who were far from God, his message was one of compassion. A leper comes to him and says, if you're willing, you can make me whole. According to the law, they were to cry out a thousand feet away, unclean, to give everybody a heads up that they're unclean. Except for this guy approached Jesus. And Jesus is a rabbi. He knows the scripture. He should have told him, according to the law, get away from me. I can't be with you. You see, you're, there's something wrong with you. And if you touch me, then there's something wrong with me. Get away. They had the law. When the guy said, if you're willing, you could heal me, Jesus looked right at him and said, I'm willing, and healed him. When the woman was caught in the act of adultery, and she was brought before the entire congregation, and she was naked in the church, and they looked at Jesus, and they said, well, the law says that we're to stone her. What do you say? And Jesus says, let him who has not sinned cast the first stone. And it says, and from the oldest to the youngest, they dropped their rocks and walked away. Jesus met people with compassion. If there was ever a moment where Jesus got frustrated, do you know who it was with? Well, <laughs> there was that one moment. But do you know who it was with? The moments that Jesus, you have that moment you read in the, in the Scripture, and you're like, oh, look, Jesus is getting kind of like, his, it seems like it's getting kind of hot. Do you know who it was with? The church people. Come on, are you hearing me? It was with the church people. It was with the religious people. The hardest rebukes came to those who knew better. You can't work on the Sabbath. You can't work on the Sabbath. You can't work on the Sabbath. You can't walk on the Sabbath. You can't cook on the Sabbath. You can't work on the Sabbath. That's what the religious people said. And then Jesus comes along and says, wait a minute. I don't think you guys are getting it. The Sabbath was made for man. Man was not made for the Sabbath. You're getting this backwards. So in context, let's go back and look at this. Luke 6, 37, it says, And do not judge others, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn others, and it will, or it will all come against you. Forgive others, and you will be forgiven. Verse 38, it says, Give, and you will receive. Your gift will return to you in full, pressed down, shaken together, to make room for more, running over and poured into the lap. The amount you give will determine the amount you get back. I find it so interesting that he used the word gift here. He used the word gift but it makes sense, doesn't it? After all, after all, that's what we believe our opinions are. 
That's what we believe our judgments are. We believe that they're a gift for somebody else. I have this knowledge that's going to help change your life, and so I'm going to freely give you this gift. It's the gift of judgment. It's a gift of condemnation. We believe it's something that someone else needs. They haven't asked us for our opinion. They haven't asked us for our judgment. They haven't paid us for anything, but we're going to give it anyways because it's our gift. And not only are we going to give it, but, but we're going to do it right. We're going to give it pressed down, and we're going to give it shaken over, and we're going to get it running over, shaken together, running over. That's what we're going to do. And he's saying that that's what's going to happen to you. Fully pressed down, shaken together, and running over describes the violent act of shifting and processing grain. You press it, you shake it, you shift it, and you pour it out. It's pressed down and violently shaken. And see, the amount that you give will determine the amount you, you get back. Some of you might have questions. I'm going to answer some of your questions in just a second, because I know you have questions. I know what your questions are. <laughs> Maybe. Mostly. We'll see. So like 12 years ago, there was a show that, that we used to watch, my wife and I. We used to watch two shows, actually. This one show called Survivor. Anybody remember Survivor? Outwit, outlast, outplay. Nobody remembers that show? Y'all were deprived. So... <laughs> There's another show we used to always watch, too. It was called The Amazing Race. Y'all ever seen The Amazing Race? Yeah, you remember that show, right? And they would take couples and, and they would put them on this, this race. It was an amazing race because they had a starting point and they had an end point. And in between the starting point and the end point, they had all these different tasks that they had to do, different games they had to play, right? They had to compete against one another. And there was this one time we were watching it that I saw this this task that they had to do. They had to compete. And there was two ladies on this show. And they were using watermelons and slingshots. First of all, watermelons don't belong in slingshots. Amen? But they were using watermelons and slingshots. And I remember seeing this, and it was stuck in my head, I will never forget this. And after you watch this video, you will never forget this too. And you'll never forget what we're talking about right now. Because when we give, it's given to us, good measure pressed down, shaken together, and running over, it's given back to us. Do you have that video up there? Let's go ahead and check this video out. Watch it. I've, re I've seen that clip a thousand times in the last 12 years. I've used it many times to preach on different stages. And talking about this topic, and it all, I still flinch every time I see that. And I know it's coming. And I know it's coming. But what, what a beautifully perfect example, painful example, of what it's like when we think that we have the right to heap judgment and condemnation onto somebody else. I mean, we do it well. We pull that thing all the way back, and we got everything into it, and we let it go, and then it comes back, and it hits us in the face. And when it comes back and hits us in the face, do you know what we cry as church? You know what we cry out as church? When it comes back and hits us in the face, we go, I'm being persecuted. I'm being persecuted. No, you're not. 
you fired a watermelon that you should have never fired in the first place. A watermelon to the face. It's a great illustration of what it looks like when the body of Christ acts in ways that are anti-Christ. My wife preached a message last week where she talked about being Christ-like and anti-Christ. And and she talked about, you know, being Christ-like is self-explanatory. It's being like Christ. And that's our goal as as Christians, as, as followers of Jesus Christ. People should look at us and go, oh, you're like Jesus, right? We, we sh- they shouldn't be looking at us and going, you ain't nothing like Jesus. It's sad when the world knows more about what Jesus looks like than what the church looks like. I mean, church does. Anti-Christ. It's, it's anti-Jesus. And a watermelon to the face, it's a great illustration of what it looks like when the body of Christ acts in ways that are anti-Christ. Now, some of us might be thinking... Some of us might be thinking, are you saying that we shouldn't say anything to anyone if we see that their life is being destructive? Are you saying that, that we're just to let people live however they want to live? Are you saying we should just sit back and watch the world go to hell in a handbasket? So let me just answer those questions for you real quick. The first one, are you saying we shouldn't say anything to anyone? Depends. Are you listening? Depends. Oh, it depends on what? Well, it depends. Are you willing to invest? Are are you willing to invest? See, I'm all for speaking life into somebody or helping somebody walk through something, but I'm not for speaking something over them and walking away from them, but speaking something over them and walking with them in the journey. Are you willing to invest in the life of the person you're speaking into? There's a difference between telling someone who, who's drinking that their drinking is going to ruin their life and telling someone the drink is going to ruin their life but saying, hey, let's go find a detox. I'll go with you. There's a difference, right? There's a difference. There's a difference between telling someone that their lifestyle is going to ruin their life and sitting down with them and hearing their story. Oh, how quickly the church wants to tell people what they should and shouldn't be doing. And yet we don't sit down with them and say, can you tell me your story? Can you tell me your story? Even your enemies, I heard this quote a long time ago, even your enemies, your enemies are just someone's whose story you haven't heard yet. True story. Are you willing to sit down and have a conversation with them? Invite them over to your house. Make them dinner. Take them out to eat. You pay the bill. Are you willing to invest in that? Are you willing to invest in that? Discipleship is investment. It's investment. So are you saying we shouldn't say anything to anybody? No, I'm not saying that. If you're going to invest in them, say it. Discipleship. Discipleship works both ways. I love meeting with Pastor Linwood for lunch. I go to to lunch with Pastor Linwood every so often, probably every couple months. And we sit down. I think I'm up to buy lunch this time. We, We take turns back and forth. But I love sitting down with Pastor Linwood because... He has a lot of experience, a lot of life experience. 
He's seeing things from a different angle than I've seen them. My view and my perspective is my view and my perspective. I have a lot to learn from him. But I love sitting down with him. I love sitting down with, with Robert Overman, who's a part of HBC. And, and Robert and I, we get together pretty regularly for a bit on, on Wednesdays before our life group, before Journey has a life group that meets here. And we get together for an hour, and we just talk. And I don't feel the need for me to sit down over him and tell him all the things he needs to change about his life. And he doesn't feel the need to sit down and tell me all the things I need to change about my life. What we're doing is saying, hey, man, tell me how you're doing. What's going on? How's your life going? How are things going? Dale Carnegie is a great leadership guy from back in the 30s, said people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. It's iron sharpens iron. I have another guy that I love talking to, a guy named Eric Rowe, who leads our student ministry right now. I love sitting down and talking to him. Another one is a, a guy named Rob Schwartz. Rob Schwartz is a, at a surfing contest in North Carolina right now doing surfing. That's, that's an awesome gig. And then just sitting on the beach for a week straight and doing surfing competitions is awesome. But I love sitting down with Rob because Rob asks great questions too. Rob cares. Rob will sit down and say, hey, man, how's everything going with you? How's your family doing? How are your kids doing? See, when I know somebody wants to invest in my life, I have no problem sitting down and listening to them when they want to share something that's corrective, right? Are you thinking, another question, are you, are you saying we should just let people live however they want to live? Well, you don't control people anyways. You can't control people anyways, right? You can't stop them from doing what they want to do. If you have kids, you know this. Amen. If you have kids, you know this. You can tell them what they should do, but until they're convinced that it will benefit them, they are going to do the opposite of what you want them to do. Right. Another question was, well, are you saying we should just sit by and watch the world go to hell in a handbasket? The answer to that question is no, not at all. We are to bring heaven to earth. Everywhere we go is an opportunity to bring heaven with us. If we're bringing judgment and condemnation, we're not bringing heaven, we're bringing hell. We're to bring heaven with us. We're wrapping up. That's the first close. So, listen. Verse 39. Luke 6 says, and then Jesus said to them, or gave them the following illustration, can one blind person lead another? Won't they both fall into a ditch? And verse 40 says, students are not greater than their teacher. I love this. Students are not greater than the teacher, but the student who is fully trained will be just like their teacher. I, I, I love that. He said, listen, I know. He's talking to his disciples in the moment. He's like, he's saying, listen, listen, I know you think the way that I do things is kind of awkward sometimes. Peter, you always have a better idea of how things should be done. But he said, you're not greater than your teacher. But when you're trained, you'll be just like your teacher. And, and, and so, so, look, the way that I do things might look different but they work. The way that I do things might look different, but they, they work. Church can sometimes be accused of being the bait and switch. Again, not here at Hilton and not here at Journey. Other churches. They can be accused of being the bait and switch. You say we start off with, God loves you no matter what. That gets you in. 
And that the message, God loves you no matter what, that gets you in. God loves you, but you don't know what I've done in my life. Yeah, but the God loves you so much. But the things that I've done, I got skeletons in my closet. Yeah, but God loves you so much. Okay, I'll take that. And I take it, and I get in the church, and then I learn something different. That God loved me so much before I got in the church. But now that I'm in church, God loves me if. And God loves me when. And God loves me but. And that's wrong. He says, not God loves you if and when and but. It's God loves you, period. Period. And he goes on in verse 41 and 42, and I'm wrapping up here. You can play. Verse 41 and 42, it says, And why worry about the speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? How can you think of saying, friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? Hypocrite. First get rid of the log in your own eye, and then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. Listen. Why worry about the speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? I can answer this because it's way easier for me to focus on your mess than it is to deal with mine. Isn't that right? It's so much easier to focus on, my, on your mess than it is to deal with my own. He said, you can't even get past the log in your own, own eye. Good gracious, man. How many times have we looked at someone else's life and thought, well, if they just did this, or if they just did that, their life would be so much better. How many times have I looked at someone else's sin and thought, well, that's going to destroy their relationships, or that's going to destroy their marriage, all the while the speck that I was focusing on wasn't in their eye. It was the log that I had in my own. Before we rush to judgment and condemnation, maybe we should do our own heart check. Maybe we should say, Lord, what is it that you want to deal with my heart about? Before we find ourselves in a place where we're leaning back and catching a watermelon to our own face. It's not wrong to speak into someone's life if you're going to invest. It's wrong to speak into someone's life and leave. I got daddy issues, y'all. I do. My dad wasn't around when I was younger. So I don't, I'm not, I'm not interested in people, particularly men. I'm just going to be vulnerable. Can I be a vulnerable to you guys? I'm not very interested in men who want to come and tell me all the things I need to do right in my life who have no interest in hanging out with me and helping me get through that. I don't. If you're willing to invest, then I'll listen. Judgment is not our place. Condemnation is not our place. It's only love that transforms. Love brings lasting transformation. Love is motivating, listen, love is motivating millions of people, millions of followers of Jesus around the world to gather together and worship today. 
So in verse 37, it said, do not judge others and you will not be judged. Do not condemn others or it will all come back to you. But then it had this one part that was really good. It said, forgive others and you will be forgiven. Forgive others and you will be forgiven. And just like judgment and condemnation can be pressed down, shaken together, and running over and given back into you, guess what else can be pressed down, shaken together, and running over and given back to you? It's your forgiveness. It's your grace. It's your love. And so let me just close the service with this thing right here. Go ahead and bow your heads. Close your eyes right where you're at. And just let me ask you a couple questions this morning. Maybe that question for you this morning is, is who do you need to forgive? Who do you need to forgive? Who do you need to forgive? I want you just to see Jesus right where you're at. Who do you need to forgive? Or maybe it's who do you need to ask to forgive you? Because maybe you've realized that you've spent more time judging, more time condemning than you have loving. And so maybe there's someone you need to ask to forgive you. Say, I need forgiveness. You need forgiveness. The church needs forgiveness. And if there's anything that we want to get pressed down, shaken together, and pouring over into our laps, I would say it is the forgiveness, the grace, the mercy, and the love of God. So head bows, eyes closed. I'm going to pray for you right now. And then we're going to wrap. Father God, I thank you for your grace. I thank you, Father, for stirring in our hearts this morning a, a, ma a message that is challenging. It's challenging to me, God. It challenges me, Lord. When I leave church on Sundays and go to Wendy's and want to be anti-Christ to the people in the drive-thru, Lord, it's challenging to me. Or when I look at somebody else that I walk by in a store or on the street, somebody I see on Facebook or Instagram, and I pass judgment on them. I need it. I need your forgiveness, Lord. So I pray for every person in this room, every person who's watching online, every person who will go back and listen to the podcast right now. Father, I pray that you would just show us in this moment, God, in this moment, Lord, who do we need to forgive or who do we need to ask to forgive us? And maybe it's ourselves. Maybe we need to forgive ourselves. I just pray, Father, that you would just move in our hearts and let us experience that forgiveness today. Father, we thank you, we love you, and we worship you. In Jesus' name, amen and amen and amen. And that concludes our service today, guys. I thank you so much, again, for letting us be a part of this thing. It's awesome.